Uh, if someone can just give me on the um, just give me a thumbs up that everyone can hear me and that the video is working fine, inshallah, then we can begin. Someone can just in the chat group, please, just let me know that it's okay to start. Uh, for those of you that watch me try to do this stuff on abroad before, you know I don't have the best track record when it comes to working off this type of technology. So if someone can just let me know, that would be greatly appreciated. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa laqibatu lil-muttaqeen, wa la'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen, wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lahu ilahu al-awwalina wal-akhirin, wa ashadu anna nabiyyana muhammadana abduhu wa rasooluhu al-mustafa al-ameen, allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala abdika wa rasoolika muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So welcome to another class with QP Quranic Progression, and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue the tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq. I'm going to apologize in advance for the angle of the camera, the lighting, anything else uh, that it may be experienced uh, throughout this transmission. Uh, but inshallah ta'ala, as I said last week in the class, um, because I ended up having to record a couple of sessions, that even if it means you have to turn, uh, change times, um, move things around slightly, uh, and you know, perhaps not have the same quality as we're used to in terms of the video and audio, then it's better that we do this stuff live rather than I just pre-record and, and then just upload that as and when uh, needed. So inshallah ta'ala today uh, we're going to continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq. So last week we were on verses number 5 and 6. So we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning the opening of Surah Al-Tariq, Allah azza wa jalla mentions the jawab al-qasim which is the reason for which the oaths at the beginning of the surah were taken and that is that he says in kullu nafsi lamma alayha hafil that indeed upon every single soul there is a watcher. And we said that the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir is that that refers to the watchers that Allah appoints from the angels on over every soul, and that they record the deeds that people do, good and bad. That Allah records all of our deeds, that they will be presented, will then hold us to account for them. Last week then we went on to verses number 5 and 6, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَلْيَنْظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ مِمَّا خُلِقُ so then let mankind see from what he was created. What was the origin of mankind? And we mentioned last week that some of the scholars of Tafsir were in the position that the word insan, which is the singular form and means a human or a man or an individual, some of the scholars were of the position that it refers to a certain individual. That Allah is referring to a certain person. And they gave, for example, from those people that are mentioned in the books of Tafsir, a man by the name of Abu al-Ashaddain, who was known for his courage, his bravery, his strength, but he was also one of the ardent enemies of our Prophet So that's an example. But many of the scholars of tafsir, they said, no, Allah didn't mean to specify a single individual, rather he means every human, every person who fits that description. So those people who deny that Allah has the ability to resurrect, 
deny that Allah has power over them, deny that Allah has the ability to hold to account, Allah says, let them look at their origin. What did they come from? And all of us, as we said, that meaning of that verse is of two types. The first is referring to the origin of the human species as a creation. And that goes back to the uh, story of the creation of Adam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him, as we know, from earth. And he mixed that earth with water so that it became muddy clay. That is the origin of the species. That is how Allah created Adam salam. But obviously then after Adam salam, every single human that then comes, with the exception of those two or three that we mentioned in the last uh, class, every human that comes, Allah created them from what we call a nutfah, a sperm drop. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created them in that way. So the origin of mankind is from earth. But then for every child that is born, it is, as we know, a mixture of the fluids of a man and a woman. From those sperm, uh, from that sperm comes the child that is born by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah says, let that person see what they are created from, this is the origin of our creation. And we mentioned also last week that humans generally, or many of them are very arrogant, very proud. It is part of human nature to want to dominate, to show your strength. People on earth like to show their strength, as we see in the way that people use the resources of the world, the way they dominate the world, the way they think that they control everything uh, upon the planet. That's just human nature, and it leads to a sense of arrogance and pride and haughtiness. But, and, and then that is translated into different ways, as we said. So some people see that in terms of their lineage. Some people see that as a result of their wealth or their station in society. Some people see that as a result of the fame that they have or the positions and careers that they have. Some people may see it as a, as a result of their nationality or the language that they speak or the color of their skin. All of these are various forms of the same thing. And Allah is saying that all of you were created from that sperm drop. What do you have that is so worthy, so valuable, so precious that you can be haughty and proud over it? Allah in verse number six, he then answers that question, what do you think you were created from? And he says, You were created from a liquid, a fluid that was ejected. That is the origin of every human. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing to us the reality of our situation. And that is that there is nothing to boast about when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, a person's, what they have and their abilities and their strengths. It is something which Allah gives to whomsoever he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. So today we're going to continue from verse number seven onwards. And in verse number seven, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يخرج من بين الصلب والترائب Allah says that he emerges from between the backbone and the breastbone. And this is the translation of Professor Abdul Hanim. So that he emerges. So when Allah says that he created him or every human is created from that fluid that is ejected, Allah says that he emerges from between the backbone and the breastbone. Um, the scholars of Tafsir have a discussion here as to over two issues. Number one, what does the word at-taraib mean? The taraib. So a sulb is known, it's the backbone. But what is the taraib that Allah is referring to? That's the first issue. And number two, who is being referred to in this verse? When Allah says that this child or this person, this human emerges from the backbone and breastbone, whose backbone and whose breastbone? Those are the two issues that you will find in discussion in the books of Tafsir concerning this verse. So we will mention some of the statements of the Salaf. 
concerning uh, the tafsir of this verse and then we'll go into some more detail in terms of these issues of difference of opinion all these various positions that you find amongst the scholars of tafsir in the statement of ibn abbas anhuma, he said that the statement of allah he said at-taraib is the place of the necklace so when a woman wears a necklace the part that the necklace hangs down over her, the, the upper part of her chest, he said that is the meaning of At-Taraib. And Mujahid, his student, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the student of Ibn Abbas, he said that At-Taraib refers to the chest. So very similar, therefore, in, in meaning. Uh, however, Ibn Abbas's statement is more precise than uh, Mujahid's because the chest is a large area, but the place, the average necklace, the way that it hangs down, that part of the chest is something which is more specific. Uh, Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the tabi'een from the students of some of the companions like Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu anhu and others, he said that the word al-taraib is asfalu min al-taraqi. It is just below the collarbone. Just below the collarbone. So this is the collarbone here. Just below that, he said, that is the al-taraib. And that is also very similar to the statement, therefore, of Ibn Abbas and Mujahid, rahimahullah, radiyallahu anhum. Uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said that when Allah says As-Sulbi wa-Taraib between the backbone and the breastbone, the backbone refers to the male backbone, the backbone of the man, and the Taraib, which is the collarbone, refers to the collarbone of the woman. So, therefore, the child emanates from these two places. The, the fluid that comes from the man comes from his backbone, and from the woman comes from her collarbone, from that area, from that part of her body, and together they merge and they they. Uh, create the child by Allah's permission. Al-A'mash, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of, of hadith uh, and the famous imam of the Salaf, Al-A'mash is one of the famous imams of the Salaf, alayhi rahmatullah, he, and he's a very prolific narrator of hadith. So if you look in many of the chains of narrations in the books of hadith, you will find the name of Al-A'mash. Al-A'mash, Al-A'mash is someone who is frequently mentioned in the books of hadith. Anyway, he said that the, he said that it is said that the bones come from the fluid of the man and the meat or the flesh and the blood comes from the fluid of the woman. That's what he said, rahimahullah ta'ala. And Sa'id, he said, min bayn sulbi wa taraib, he said, allati asfal sulb. He said the taraib uh, is like the rib cage, rib cage which comes, uh, which, which surrounds or comes in front of the backbone. And Imam al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala in his tafsir as he often does. He went into detail concerning these different positions and he and, and the narrations that you find amongst the Salaf concerning this particular uh, particular verse. He said, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Uh, he said, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Sorry, just one second. I just lost that. And Imam al Tabari Rahimahullah Ta'ala said. The statement of Allah Azza wa Jal Yakhruju min bain sulbi wa taraib that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created or emanates from that which comes from or it emerges from between the backbone and the breastbone. He said, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He said that it refers to the backbone of the man and the breastbone of the woman. And as we will see, this is one of those issues of difference of opinion. So as we said, there's two issues here. Number one is when Allah Azza speaks about the word the taraib, what is it exactly referring to? That's the first thing. And as you can see, many of the scholars of tafsir seem to be of the position 
that it's referring to the uh, the breast or the collarbone or around the area at the top of the chest. Uh, that's what's referred to by the word taraib. The second issue is whose backbone and breastbone is being referred to here or whose backbone and collarbone is being referred to here. That is an issue of difference of opinion. The position of many of the scholars of tafsir, as you'll see here, uh, and it's the position that we already mentioned before as being the position of Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the imams of the Salaf, one of the famous imams of hadith and tafsir and fiqh and so on. And here also is the position that Imam al-Tabari himself would choose, rahimahullah ta'ala. He says that it refers to the backbone of the, of the man, the breastbone of the woman. That's what it's referring to. That the child or that the human the, that is born, the newborn, they, they come and emerge, emanate from these two parts and what is produced therein. Uh, so then, after substantiating that issue, Imam Tabari choosing that point, he then goes on to the second issue, which is what does the word taraib mean? And he mentions the positions of the scholars of Islam. So we just mentioned some of the statements. Now Imam Tabari goes into detail. He said, you will find that some of them say that the word taraib refers to the place of the necklace upon the chest of a woman. And as we said that already, that is the position of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, but also from amongst the scholars of Tafsir, Ikrimah, who is a student of Ibn Abbas, Saeed ibn Jubair, who is also from the students of Ibn Abbas, and these are from his prominent major students, rahimahumullah, and Ibn Zayd. So these scholars said that it refers to the place of the necklace of a woman, which essentially would come down to her, uh, to her breastbone or just below her collarbone. Others, he said, uh, this is Imam Al-Tabri. He said, others said, That the taraib is what is between the shoulders and the chest. Between the shoulders and the chest. And he said that this is the position of Mujahid, Rahimahullah, the famous scholar of tafsir from the students of Ibn Abbas, also radiallahu anhumah. And it is also the position of Sufyan. They said it's between the shoulders and the chest. He said, others said, so now this is the third position. Others said, it is referring to a tribe, refers to the two hands, the two feet, and the two eyes. And this is also a, a statement that has been attributed to Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, that he said, He said it refers to the extremities of the human, of the, of the man, his hands, his eyes, and his feet. Um, the and also that's uh, I think that is also a statement that is attributed also to al Uh The next position of the fourth one is that it refers to the man himself, refers to his backbone and between and, and and his breastbone, backbone and his breastbone. And so this is the second issue that we said, right? There's a difference of opinion as to whether it's referring to the man and the woman the backbone of the man, the breastbone of the woman, or whether it's referring both of them, the backbone and the breastbone, both of them are referring to the man. Uh, and this is, as, uh, and we'll come on to this in, in slightly more detail, inshallah ta'ala, in a short while, but this is the other position. One of the scholars who said this from the Salaf is Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala. Qatada said, يَخْرُجُ مِنْ بَيْنِ صُلْبِ الرَّجُلِ وَنَحْرِهِ It comes from between the backbone of the man and between his, his nahar, which is essentially his, below his collarbone and 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 so on uh, so that's the position of of uh of that's the position of qatada rahimahullah ta'ala from the scholars of the salaf 
And again, that points to that issue that we will, inshallah, touch upon in more detail shortly. Uh, the next position that you also find amongst the scholars of the Salaf concerning the meaning of the word Taraib, uh, some of them said that it is the rib cage, the rib cage that you find uh, in front of the the backbone, the rib, rib cage that you find, uh, and this is, it is said that this is the position of Saeed, uh, Saeed ibn Musayyib rahimahullah taala, that he said that this is the adla, it is the ribs that you find. That's what's that's what's being referred to. Uh, others said, and this is a position that is being reported as uh, attributed to a scholar by the name of Ma'mar ibn Abi Habiba al-Madani. Ma'mar ibn Abi Habiba al-Madani, as is related by al-Imam al-Tabadi rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is that he said that al-Taraib refers to what is in the depths of the heart. What is in the heart, that is what is essentially being referred to. Imam al-Tabri, after mentioning these different positions, he said, and the correct position um, with us for more of that which we mentioned is the one who said it is the mawdi'u al-qiladati it is the place of her necklace it is the, the tribe refers to the place of the necklace when a woman wears a necklace upon her and the part that it reaches of her chest essentially being around the breastbone because that is the well-known meaning of this term in the Arabic language. And this is something which, as we've uh, mentioned before, Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala does, and that is that he will often go back to the Arabic language in terms of specifying the meaning of these words and what it is that they exactly refer to. So when we, um, you know, when we look at the, these words that are somewhat ambiguous, they have multiple meanings, it's not always clear what, what's being referred to, the scholars go through a number of stages. Number one is that they look at what we call Dilal al-Shari'iyah, is there a shari meaning to this word that the sharia has given to it? So linguistically, it's known for something. But the sharia has now taken that word and it has applied it to something else and that is now the meaning that comes to mind. So for example, the word salah. The word salah in Arabic language linguistically means dua. It means to supplicate. What the sharia then did is that it took, and that is still mentioned by the way, even in that linguistic meaning, it is still used in the Arabic language, even in the Quran. Allah says, Allah says to the Prophet, وسلم, take from their wealth a sadaqah, a zakah, that you will use to purify them and pray for them, supplicate for them. And that is when the hadith of Abdullah bin Abi Awfa, he said that the Prophet وسلم, if people came and they gave him zakah, he would say, Allahumma salli alayhim. He would make dua for them. He would say, Allahumma salli alayhim. Which shows that this word salah isn't specific only to the Prophet وسلم, in terms of salutations. It can be used for other people as well. And he said that my father, Ibn Abi Awfa, or Abu Awfa, came to the Prophet وسلم, with his zakah, and the Prophet وسلم, said, Allahumma salli ala Ali Abi Awfa. O oh Allah, send your salat upon the family of Abu Awfa. And this is his son Abdullah narrating this hadith. So therefore the word salah in the Arabic language means prayer. Uh, sorry, means supplication. But then the sharia came and he gave the word salah a distinct meaning by which it is referred to in most cases. Unless the context shows otherwise. And that is the meaning of what we know salah to be. Which is that you start with the takbir and you pray with fatiha and ruku and sujood and every other component and element of the salah. That is the meaning now that comes to mind. So if someone says, go and make salah, no one raises their hand and make dua. 
even though linguistically that would be correct. No, the meaning that comes to your mind is the Dilala Shari'a, the Shari term that has been, or the Shari understanding of what that term now refers to. And you can say the same about Zakah. Zakah means linguistically an increase, and Nama, or Barakah, blessing and increase. But then the Shari'a took that word and he gave it, gave to it a distinct meaning. And that's the obligatory charity that we give each and every single year for those who are due and eligible to pay that amount. That's the meaning now. So likewise, all of these issues, Hajj, for example, in Arabic language, linguistically means to intend. The Sharia came, took the word Hajj, and gave to it another meaning. And that is the pilgrimage that we're all familiar with that is performed each and every single year, and that is obligatory once in a lifetime. So therefore, now these words have been given what we call a Dilala Sharia. If the term doesn't have a Dilala Sharia, not every word in Arabic has a Sharia understanding to it, the scholars then look at what they call a Dilala Lugawiya. They look at the understanding of it in terms of the Arabic language. The Arabic language. So the Arabic language, because the Quran was revealed in Bilisan, in Arabi, Mubin, in a clear and plain Arabic language, what do the Arabs understand this word to mean? And this is why often, uh, in, in, as we mentioned in our tafsir classes, Imam Tabari and others, they will often say, because this word, or they will give a tafsir for a word, and they will say, because that is what the Arabs know it for. And we've given, I think, countless examples of this already. If you go back over the years now, four or five years of tafsir, you go through all of those lessons. Numerous times, Imam al-Tabari, we said, he said, because this is what the Arabs know this word to mean. This is how the Arabs use this word. And so the Arabs, by virtue of the Arabic language, they know and understand what those, what those words mean. There is also a third dilala. And these aren't necessarily in any type of order. Uh, the third dilala is what we call urfiya, to do with custom. So the sharia has given to it a customary understanding. And that is many uh, verses in the Quran that speak about, for example, ma'roof, doing something in goodness. Or, for example, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal when he speaks about parents and respecting, honoring them, he says, ihsana, And do good to your parents. There is an understanding of what is good in the in the shari context because Allah tells us what is obligatory and what is prohibited with regards to our parents. Then there is the understanding of the language, which is good and what it refers to good and what it means from a linguistic point of view. And then there is a customary understanding of that because each time and place differs. So the way that we respect our parents today may not necessarily be the same way that people respected their parents a hundred years ago in terms of certain issues and elements. So for example, the way that you spend on them and the amount that you spend on them and the things that you now must do for them, that changes from time to time and place to place is not necessarily always the same. So these are different ways in which the, uh, the these terms work. And so often you will find in the books of Tafsir that the scholars say this, the Arabs use this word in this context. This is what we know from the Arabic language. If you were to follow Arabic literature and poetry, this is what you're going to essentially find. And that is what Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says. We said that Imam Al-Tabari also then chose the position. So if that's the first issue in terms of the meaning of the word Taraib. The second issue in terms of what's being referred to here when the backbone and the breastbone are being mentioned, are they referring to the man and the woman or the man himself? The position, as we said, of Imam Al-Tabari, the one that he chose, is that it's referring to both the man and the woman. The backbone of the man, the breastbone of the woman. That's what Allah Azza wa is referring to. And that's simply because you need both people. right? You need the man and the woman in order for the child to be born. Other scholars, as we just mentioned, Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, being from amongst them, said no. 
both of them are referring to the male. Because Allah is referring to the ma'in dafiq. He's referring to the fluid that is ejected. What is the fluid that is ejected? It's the sperm. Right? That's essentially what is ejected. So then when Allah says that that emanates from or it emerges from, he's still referring to that same fluid. And that is something which only comes from the man. So when Allah then says, it comes from this place and that place, both of them are still referring to the man. The context has not changed and Allah has not entered into any discussion concerning the female or the woman's uh, part in this. And this position that is referring to the man, both of these bones or both of these parts of the body, a sulb and a tribe, the backbone and the breastbone, both of them are referring to the male. This was a position that was chosen by some of the scholars of tafsir. From amongst them, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, Ibn al-Qayyim, he said that the scholars differed over the meaning of a taraib. And whether it's referring to the taraib of the man alone, himself meaning, or it's referring to the taraib of the woman, referring to her breastbone. And he says in the first position, meaning that they're all referring to the male, the man, he said that is more apparent because Allah says, it comes from in between the backbone and the breastbone. And he didn't say from the backbone and the breastbone, which shows that Allah is referring to in between something. And you don't want to say in between unless it's part of the same thing. right? It can't be from in between the backbone of the man all the way to the breastbone of the woman. They are not one and the same. There's a distance between them. They're two separate entities, two separate bodies. So it can't be in between them. It doesn't travel the air and the distance that is between them. But when Allah says in between, refers to a single body, a single entity that is between those two parts of the body. And Allah knows best. So he said anyway, So he says that Allah therefore is referring to the male. Just as Allah speaks about the coming of the milk from the animal, and it says that it comes from its, its, its excrement and in between its excrement and between its blood. Right? The place that we come and we, we, we draw the milk from those animals in between the part of excrement and the part of its blood. And Allah is referring to the single animal. So he says likewise here, Allah is using the same word, minbaini, farthi wadam, and here, minbaini, asulbi wattaraib. And he says that also because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said that Allah Azzawajal created, Allah Azzawajal in numerous places in the Quran, mentions that Allah, that Allah created humans from a nutfa, from a sperm drop. That is mentioned in multiple places in the Quran. And he says in the nutfa, the sperm drop is known to be the fluid of the man. So here likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he's referring to the ma'in dafiq, the, the, the fluid that is ejected, he's referring to the male. And so therefore, this is what is being referred to. It is referring to the backbone and the breastbone of the male. And this position was then also, as we said, chosen by other scholars of Tafsir. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala is just one of them. From those scholars who also took this position uh, was the uh, was the Shaykh of our time, Shaykh Ibn Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala bi rahmati al This was the position that he also chose. Um, the... The next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in verse number 8, إِنَّهُ عَلَىٰ رَجْعِهِ لَقَادِرِ 
Indeed, Allah is certainly able to bring him back to life. Indeed, Allah is certainly able to bring him back to life. Ikrima, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that what it means, and here the scholars, the discussion in this verse is centering around the ha, the pronoun, the ha in the word raj'ihi. Allah says that he is certainly able to bring it back to life. What is it referring to here, the ha, the pronoun? What is it referring to? So Ikrima, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa has the ability to return him to the backbone of his father. And Mujahid Ta'ala said something similar. And Imam Al-Tabari Ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa Jal, when he created this person or he created mankind from this fluid that was ejected, and then he made them into humans, caused them to be born as humans, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala then says, Ala Allah can take him back, return him back. What is that referring to? He said that some of them said it refers to the fluid itself. That Allah can return every human back to that sperm drop. Just as Allah took you from a sperm drop and made you into a human, Allah has the power and the ability, subhanahu wa ta'ala, because he has control over everything in the heavens and the earth, to take you back from your human form, if he so wished and willed, and turn you back into that sperm drop. That is the first position amongst the scholars of tafsir. And this is the position, as we said just now, of Ikrimah and Mujahid, from the major scholars of the Tabi'een and the major Imams of Tafsir, Rahimahumullahu Ta'ala. Others said something similar, and that is that Allah has the ability to turn a human back into the fluid that they were created from. The fluid that they were created from. So the first one is referring to the place. So Mujahid Naklima says that Allah, just as he took you from that place as a sperm drop and made you into a, into a full, fully formed human, Allah can turn you, return you back to that same place where that first drop emanated from. This position, the second one, is that Allah can return you back to the sperm drop, not necessarily anything to do with the place of the body where it emanated from. And this is a position, it is, it is said that it is, it is attributed to Al-Dahaq, Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. He said that the meaning of this verse is in If I wish, then I could return him back to the very fluid from which he was created. Other scholars said that what it refers to is that Allah is saying that just as he allowed that fluid to be ejected, Allah has the ability and the power to withhold that fluid, to stop it from being, from, from being ejected. And so therefore he has the power to withhold that fluid from coming out. And this is the position of Ibn Zayd, he said, عَلَىٰ رَجْعِ ذَٰلِكَ الْمَاءِ لَقَادِرٌ حَتَّىٰ لَا يَخْرُجْ كَمَا قَدَرَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ مِنْهُ مَا خَلَقْ قَادِرٌ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَرْجِعَىٰ Allah has the ability to stop that liquid from coming out, that fluid from coming out. Just as Allah allows it to come out, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can also prevent it from coming out. Others from amongst the scholars, they said that what it refers to is that Allah has the ability to return him to childhood. So this human now that was born as a baby and then grows up into adulthood, Allah has the ability, if he so wishes, to turn him back into a child if he so pleases, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is also reported to be the statement of al-Dahaq, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, إِن شِئْتُ رَدَتْتُهُ مِنَ الْكِبَرِ إِلَى الشَّبَابِ وَمِنَ الشَّبَابِ إِلَى الصِّبَةِ وَمِنَ الصِّبَةِ إِلَى النُطْفَةِ He says that Allah Azza wa Jal has the ability, if he so wished, 
to take him from adulthood into youth, from youth into childhood, from childhood back into the sperm drop from which he emanated. And so therefore, uh, you know, therefore, as you can see, the first number of uh, positions are all speaking about the pronoun referring to the sperm drop, the fluid. So the first number of positions, these ones that we mentioned, Iqlima, Mujahid, Ibn Zayd, uh, Al-Dahat, others, they are referring to the pronoun that we have the ability to make it return. They're saying that it refers to the fluid. The sperm drop, that is what Allah is referring to. Other scholars say, no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the human himself. So this last statement of the haq that I can, Allah, Allah is saying that he's going to take, or he has the ability to take someone back from adulthood to youth, to childhood, to the sperm drop, is referring to the human as a whole, as opposed to simply just the sperm drop. Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to the human as a whole. Because other scholars then said that the pronoun is referring to life after death. That just as Allah allowed you to be created the first time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to create you a second time or to recreate you or to resurrect you a second time after your death. That Allah has the ability to allow this person to come back to life after he passed away. And this was the position of Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, Allah has the ability to resurrect him and to return him back to his former state. And Imam Al-Tabari, after mentioning all of this, he says that the strongest of these positions is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to take a person back to the, to, the, uh, to the sperm drop that he was created from and then to bring him back to life after his death and to bring him back to life after his death. The statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, that is referring to resurrection, he says that this is more clearer because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in the next verse starts to speak about Yawm Al-Qiyamah because he says in verse number 9, Yawm Tubla Sarair, on the day when secrets are laid bare. So he says that Allah Azza wa Jal is going into the context of speaking about the resurrection. So therefore, it would make more sense, it is more appropriate for this verse to refer to resurrection as opposed to simply the ability of Allah Azza and its power of being able to return a person back to the fluid from which they came. And Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, agreed. He agreed. He said that this pronoun goes back to the human as a whole and the meaning of the verse is that Allah Azza has the ability to return him back to life on the day of judgment, and that is the day in which their secrets will be laid bare. It is the day in which all secrets will be laid bare. He says, and the reason why this is referring to the human as a whole, as opposed to just the sperm drop, as we said those positions at the beginning, say that it's referring to just the sperm drop that Allah can refer him back to the fluid, returning back to the state of fluid. He says that that is further fetched, and that, that is, that is or, or more far-fetched, he says simply because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he speaks about this issue in the Quran, Allah is referring to it as an issue of resurrection, and therefore the next verse speaks about resurrection. So therefore when the Quran does this, when he speaks about resurrection in that way, or in this way, it is essentially to allow people to understand that these powers and abilities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that exist, that Allah has the power if he wished to return back anything to its original form, anything to its very first uh, part or, or element of creation. So therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
has the ability and the power to resurrect. And this was also the position that was then chosen and, and supported by the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said that the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, innahu ala raj'ihi laqadir, that he has the ability to return him back, the him here or the it here refers to, uh, he says that, that some of the scholars said that it refers to the fluid. Another said, no, it refers to, uh, and then he mentioned that's the position of Ikrim al-Mujahid alayhi rahmatullah. Another scholar said that it refers to resurrection, that Allah can take a person back to life after death, just as he created him the first time. He said in this position that Allah is referring to resurrection is supported by a number of elements. Number one, he said, because when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power, when it comes to uh, when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power, to have power with resurrection is more eloquent than just simply to speak about power. So Allah's ability to take a person and to back to the original form, meaning the sperm drop or the fluid that they were created from, that only speaks to Allah's power and ability. But if we say that it refers to resurrection, not only does it speak about Allah's power and ability, but it speaks about one of, as we know, one of the major issues of our faith, one of the major components of Islam, and that is belief in Yom Al-Qiyamah, in the Day of Judgment and the next life. And we know throughout the Quran, one of the things that is common from all of the stories of the prophets is that one of the main issues that their nations had trouble believing in was this issue of resurrection. Many of the stories of the prophets you will find that they will say, are we surely, are we, are you telling us that once we've become de- decomposed as bones, that you will, that Allah will resurrect us once again? So they would constantly question this. It was one of the main issues that they disbelieved in. And that exists from the time of many of the Prophets of Allah, والسلام, as Allah mentions in the Quran. And it was the same in the time of the Prophet, the Quraysh and the Arabs in general had an issue believing in this concept of resurrection. So are you telling us that once we die, we leave this world and our bodies are in the ground, they're going to decompose, they're going to essentially decay, there will be no remnant left of us, that Allah will bring us back to life? And so they didn't accept this, right? They didn't accept this. And we gave examples of this, I think, before. You know, from there is the example of, 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 of the man who said to the companion who came and he said that, um, you know, I, I want my, the money that you owe me, pay it to me. And he said that I don't, I'm not going to give it to you. So he said, I will hold you to account in the next life, on the day of judgment. Allah will take it from you. So the man replied in his arrogance that surely if Allah is going to resurrect me, he will give me even more in that life. And then I will come and I will deal with you. Then meaning I will pay you off then when Allah gives me more. So they used to ridicule and mock and reject outright this whole concept of resurrection. So Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala, is saying that Allah Azzawajal, in order to, uh, or the, in this verse, that Allah Azzawajal, the fact that Allah is supporting the issue of resurrection is stronger. Stronger than the, uh, the other issue. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't supporting uh, the issue of resurrection. So Allah Azzawajal then speaks about the, the issue of resurrection here. So that's the first point that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin mentions. The second point that he mentions, Rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that the Quran often speaks about these two issues and connects them. And that is the origin of a person's creation and resurrection. Allah Azzawajal often uh, links the two together. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, uh, in Surah Yasin, he says, وَضَرَبَ لَنَا مَثَلًا وَنَسِيَ خَلْقًا The man 
sets forth examples for us, meaning Allah Azza wa Jal, and he forgets his own creation, his own origin, meaning that he came from the sperm drop. And he says, and who will cast or who will cause these bones to come to life once they have decayed and decomposed? Allah Azza wa Jal replies, Say the one who gave life to it the first time will cause it to be resurrected a second time. So often in the Quran, the Shaykh is saying that Allah Azza wa Jal links between these two, the creation of humans the first time and their resurrection the second time. So Allah Azza wa Jal, when he says that he created us from nothing, that Allah Azza wa Jal created us from clay, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us from a nutfa and a alaqa and a mudga and so on, these different stages of of the embryo and how they develop in the womb and so on, Allah Azza wa Jal shows us his power and his ability. But that, that power and ability is to establish a greater purpose, and that is the purpose of, of resurrection. That a time will come when Allah Azza wa Jal will resurrect everyone, and that everyone will be made to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so therefore the Shaykh says that therefore this verse makes more sense, it is more befitting that the recreation element or the resurrection element rather is the one that is being referred to in this verse, إِنَّهُ عَلَى رَجْعِهِ لَقَادِرٌ That Allah has the ability to resurrect you. And he says, and also the third reason why that is the case is because as we said, the next verse, verse number nine, will speak about يوم القيامة. So Allah immediately goes into the issues of يوم القيامة. He says, يوم On the day when secrets will be laid bare. And so therefore for that to connect to, for verse eight to connect to verse nine, makes more sense. It is more in keeping with the theme of the surah as opposed to these being two distinct topics not necessarily related. And so as you can see here, many of the scholars, including Imam Al-Tabari himself, Ibn Qayyim, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, many of the scholars with tafsir were of this position that Allah Azza wa refers to the issue of resurrection here. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore at the beginning of the surah, he takes a number of oaths concerning, concerning a number of his creations as we mentioned. And then Allah Azza wa gives the Jawab al-Qasim, the reason for which those oaths were taken. And that is that every single one of us has a watcher over us. And that we shouldn't be too haughty, too proud, too arrogant to think that Allah will not hold us to account. That we are stronger or too powerful to be held to account. Or that we have the strength and might to withhold from what Allah Azza wa has decreed from us. Or, or to withstand what Allah Azza wa has decreed for us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, let each person look at their own origin. Where did you come from? And all of us know this, especially now in our time, more than any time in history. People used to know the general issues of what happens when a man and a woman are become intimate with one another. But now we know the science, we know the biology behind it. We know how this stuff works through science and through technology. So we have more knowledge of this now than ever before. We have more information, more educated concerning this than ever before. So Allah Azza says, let each one look to what their origin is from. They came from that fluid that was ejected. Ejected from that place in the body where, it's, where it emanates from and it emerges from. Look at how simple it is, the creation of Allah Azza wa but how amazing it is as well. From that one single sperm drop that isn't even visible to the naked eye, that Allah Azza wa selects and that Allah decrees will go and then mix with that egg and fertilize it, and essentially from there you get the child, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees that level of intimate detail with his utmost perfection subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah azza wa jal decrees that as a sign of his power, as a sign of his might subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a sign of his ability, jalla fi ula. And the one who has the ability to do that the first time, 
Why can't he recreate a second time? Why can't he resurrect a second time? And that is what Allah Azza wa Jal says. And indeed, he will be able to give people back to life. And as we said before, uh, some of the scholars of Tafsir were of the position that this is the Jawab al-Qasim also. That this is the second reason for which the oaths are taken at the beginning of the surah. Number one, that everyone will be held to account. We have watchers, angels over us. And number two, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to resurrect. And then Allah Azza wa Jal, as we will see inshallah ta'ala next week when we continue with the tafsir, Allah Azza wa Jal goes into the next issue and that is the issue of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the resurrection on that day of judgment. So inshallah, I think we will conclude there today. Um, if there's any questions, please let me know. Otherwise, inshallah ta'ala, we will uh, conclude bi'ithnillah ta'ala for today. Just check very quickly if I can find any questions. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, if there are any questions, please just set them up on the uh, chat. And inshallah ta'ala, I will, I will look into them next week. And, and bi'ithnillah ta'ala, we will answer them then. So barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.